right off the bat, and then we're going to look at several scriptures. Looking at those two first, though. If you are a note taker, I know I say this every week, but sometimes there's someone that's never heard it. If you're a note taker and you would like something to follow along with, you can go to fbcdan.com. And underneath the media tab, it says sermon notes. You can click on that and you can follow along with the sermon, take notes, email it to yourself at the end of taking your notes. It's just a little thing that we're able to do with, our, with fbcdan.com. So for those that like that, there it is. For those that don't, then keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to worry about it. So we're looking at uh, this crazy time that we're in, honestly. We're in a crazy time. And uh, it kind of, to set it off or to start it, to lay the foundation, I think this verse hits, hits the nail on the head. Proverbs 18.2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. If that, if that doesn't sum up how we are in this age, sometimes, quite often, Right now, I'm not sure what else does. We're, we're full, a society full of know-it-alls, full of know-nothings, and many of us are just confused, honestly. You know, they call this time that we're in the, the info age, the information age, but at times it feels like the disinformation age because there's so much information out there, it's hard for people to know what is real, what is true, what is actual news, what is fake news, what is true information, what is misinformation, it's exhausting. And, and what it causes many to do is just disengage. Like, I've got better things to do with my time. And, and I understand that sentiment. And it's quite overwhelming. Matter of fact, I found, <laughs> I found this TikTok video a couple of months back and I thought it was hilarious. And I thought it hit the nail on the head as far as what it feels like sometimes to live in this era that we're in. See if you can explain it better than me. I'm 29, I'm more confused than I ever have been. We live in a time where you have access to so much information, but the problem is there's so much information that you can find any information that backs up whatever you believe or whatever your claim is, so you're always right. But you don't know if you're actually right. Just think of anything, you can prove it if you want. Like, I'm in the line to get a coffee. I, I can bet you I can find that coffee causes blindness. I'll Google it right now, coffee causes blindness, watch. Oh, looky here, more than three cups a day can contribute to glaucoma. Now watch, I'll look up if coffee can contribute to better eyesight. Oh look, it can prevent against deteriorating eyesight and possible blindness. I mean, which is it, dude? Experts are like, oh, I don't know why anxiety is at an all-time high. Hey, maybe because I can't even sit down and enjoy a cup of joe without wondering if I'm gonna go blind or not. Who turned out the lights? <laughs> like I said, I, you may not have ever felt like that, but I, I mean, I have felt like that in this time. I know many people that have felt like that in this time. And uh, it's, it's the time where you can just about find anyone to say anything to confirm and to convince you that what you already think is true is true. And we'll, we'll hit along, along that as we go along in this series about the dangers and the, and the necessity of, of looking out for confirmation bias when you're, when you're going about what you're doing. That's kind of the underlying thing behind this whole thing. But in particular, we're looking at um, Bible myths today, okay? And what I mean by that specifically is that many things that we think are in Scripture that aren't, things that we repeat as if they are Scripture, but they're not. Now, some of these things um, will surprise you surprise you some of them are wrong 
Some of them are dangerous. Some of them I'm just being nitpicky, and I'll be honest with that. But we, we shouldn't be surprised that this is the thing, that, that, that people take Scripture and try to make it sound and say whatever they want it to say. We're in 2022, and we think that's a new thing, but that was happening when the apostles were alive, when they were first teaching about Jesus. That was happening then, and I'll show you. It's one of our scriptures for today. 2 Timothy, for the time will come, and you've heard this scripture, I'm almost positive. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from, tr from the truth and turn aside to myths. You can find any quote-unquote pastor that will say just about anything nowadays that you want him to say. You want him to confirm your lifestyle, you can find it. You want her to confirm something that you're doing, you can find it. You can find just about anything you want nowadays. And so the point and the main thing as a follower of Jesus that we need to understand today, that if that is true, that people take Scripture, twist it, and use it how they want to use it, then we, as a follower of Jesus, must be extra, extra, extra diligent to state Scripture and use Scripture how it's supposed to be stated and used. We must go, I think, take great, great energy and great pain and suffering to make sure that we are presenting and living out Scripture the way that God intended for it to be. Now, some of these things today are just silly. Some of them are not so silly. Uh, but they are things that sound like they're in Scripture, but they aren't. Okay, we're going to look at a list of things that sound like they're in Scripture, things not in Scripture, but sound like they are. And I'm not saying they're wrong, some of them. I'm not saying some of them aren't true. I'm just saying don't repeat them as if they are Scripture because they're not. Okay? So here we go. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. You're going to love this first one. I can already tell. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You've probably said that. I've said that. I've heard it said to me. I think the people that said this in my life, especially when I was growing up, were saying it from a loving place because they wanted my room to be clean. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? Now, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against cleanliness. Okay? That's, some, of, some people are going to hear this sermon today, and they're only going to hear things like that. Well, the preacher said being clean is not a big deal. That's not what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying. I prefer you to bathe on a regular basis. If, if you have the opportunity, please do. Not against it. I'm just saying that's not scripturally based. That saying is not. So don't repeat it like it is. Cleanliness is a good thing. Godliness is a good thing. But the two don't necessarily go hand in hand when we're talking about physical cleanliness or tidiness around the house. You know what's next to godliness? Godliness. That's next to godliness. Living out a godly life is what is next to godliness. A matter of fact, Scripture even says the opposite, the complete and exact opposite of that truth. In Matthew 15, Jesus says, And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. 
These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Jesus actually teaches the exact opposite of that, that if all we're worried about is the inside, we might be, matter of fact, I would say we definitely are missing the point. So be clean, please. <laughs> be clean, but even more importantly, be washed spiritually by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus the Christ, more important than anything else. Now, I've heard this one said a lot, the shortened version of this one. Moving on to number two. In the last days, you will not be able to know the seasons except by the changing of the leaves. I've heard it a lot that in the last days, the seasons will be unrecognizable. Challenge. You ready? Find that. Find it. They don't say it. Not that I've ever seen. And I looked hard. I couldn't find it. I've heard that. I've believed that. And I've read scripture all the way through more than once. And I still believe that. It's crazy. Now, again, is it that big of a deal? Well, yeah. When we're saying something in scripture and it's not, that's, I think that's kind of a big deal. It's no different than what people are doing right now, twisting up scripture to say that it's okay to do this or okay to do that or don't worry about this or don't worry about that or whatever else we do. That, what's funny is this, it's not really funny, but the interesting thing, that's what I mean when I say funny, uh, it, this comes from someone in the Catholic Church a long time ago, 1600s. Uh, it was a, a thing written and then was popularized by St. Padre Pio who lived in the early 1900s. And he, and he would repeat this and say this and talk about it and things like that, and people just came to believe it to be like Scripture. Matter of fact, this is another one of those, that Scripture actually says the exact opposite. Genesis 8.22 says that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The Lord's put things in place, and they're not going to change until he comes back and does whatever he wants to do. Now, again... That's not really that big of a deal as far as affecting your daily lives. But to repeat something as if it's scripture and it not be is a big deal for Jesus' followers. Third thing, because I can tell you have thoroughly enjoyed those first two. Huh. There's that sarcasm again. I said I wasn't going to be sarcastic. <laughs> All right. Third thing, hate the sin, love the sinner. We've said that, right? I've said it. Don't act like you hadn't said that. You've said it. Most of the time we say it about a couple of specific sins. Most of the time. And I'm not saying there isn't some truth in that saying. I'm not saying there isn't some truth in that saying. I'm just saying it's not straight from Scripture. Go find where it says to hate the sin and love the sinner. You might could find things that are like that, but you won't find that specifically in there. You won't find chapter and verse, in other words, that says those exact words. The funny thing is, it's funny to me how these things become part of just regular vernacular, right? Just our regular way of saying it, and we repeat it as if it were scripture. This is actually a loose quote from Gandhi, of all people. You know, Gandhi that said, I don't have a problem with Christianity, I've got a problem with Christians. Just let that sink in a little bit. I, I, Jesus, I like that guy. It's the people that say they follow him. They're the ones that are the problem. Hmm. Anyway, Gandhi said that uh, hate the sin, not the sinner. 
That was his quote, hate the sin, not the sinner. And that, that has become, hate the sin, love the sinner. Augustine, some of you that are history buffs may know, Augustine, however you want to say it, A.D. 424 said for the, uh, that we should, love, we should live with love for mankind and hatred of sins. Two different people that said two different things that are similar to those things, but they weren't quoting Scripture. Here's something that we should do. Again, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm not saying it's sinful. But here's what we should do. We should hate our own sin as much as we don't like the sins of others. That's scriptural. You won't find that chapter and verse either, but you'll find that truth in there. We should hate our own sin as much as we hate the sins of others. That's the danger in something like this. If you're not careful, you can become very and come off very self-righteous when you say something like this. Well, I'm going to hate the sin but love the sinner. Well, when's the last time you hated your sin? God hates your sin, every single bit of it, because it shows a lack of trust in Him, and it's harmful for you, and it's harmful for a church, for a church, for His church. Same thing with me. There's not a sin that I commit that God goes, well, that's just not that big a deal. That's okay. You know, Jesus only went to the cross for it, but it's not that big a deal. So again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't love sinners. We should. We're sinners. We should love ourselves. We should love others. But just be careful with things like this allowing you to believe and to become something that Jesus wouldn't be able to stand. When when you have attitude like that, it's very Pharisaic. And Jesus was very not so fond of Pharisees. Here's a good one. And some of you are going to push back on this one. I can already feel it. Money is the root of all evil. That's something that is said very often. Money is the root of all evil. Money is inanimate. Money is just a thing. We are evil. (laughs) Not money. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says something close to that, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I can hear some of you mumbling it. The love of money, right? It says it very clearly in 1 Timothy. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Some people use that saying, money is the root of all evil, to look at someone that they consider wealthy and not like them. That's not scriptural. No, in no way, shape, or form. Just because somebody has, has done well monetarily doesn't mean they've done something wrong for that to have taken place. Some have, and some people are destitute because of very poor decisions and living in sin. One doesn't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily define the other. The question I would have for you when it comes to this truth is, have you, have you ever done something foolish or harmful or unethical or destructive for money? I mean, go back to your childhood, right? And that candy bar. Say, so that's not that big a deal. Okay. God's law is not that big a deal. I got it. 
Check. Have you ever done something foolish or harmful or unethical or destructive for money? That's what this scripture is saying, that if money is your focus, your love, your desire, and the things that it can bring, then inevitably, you will do things that are stupid in order to get it, that are harmful and destructive to you and to those around you, like step on somebody at work so you can get the promotion, like lie about someone so you can get a raise, like steal. It's harmful. That's what God's trying to say. Don't do this because it's harmful. Money is inanimate. It has no ability to be evil or to be good. What money does, this is the one thing I've learned, what money does is amplify who and what you already are. If you're a kind and generous person that is very loving and attentive to what people need, then when you get more money, then you'll become more kind and more generous and more loving and more attentive to what people need. But if you're a selfish, tight, cheap, and all those words that we use about people that we don't really like to be around, person, then you'll get more money. If you get more money, then you'll be more tight and more cheap and more not fun to be around. Money just shows who we already are. But the love of money is a temptation. It is a trap. Be careful, Christian. <laughs> be careful of falling into that trap and doing things that are not very smart. Here we go. This is one of our favorites. I love this one. If I, my dad's probably watching today. If I've heard my dad say this once, I've heard him say it a million times. I've said it thousands of times probably. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Why do we say that? Usually we're going through something hard, and we're hoping with time it gets a little bit easier. Most of the time, with time, things get a little bit easier. But this too shall pass, you will not find chapter and verse. That's not scriptural. It's actually from an old English poem. In this old English poem, every refrain, every chorus, every, every refrain ended with, that passed away, so may this. That passed away, so may this. And it just became part of the normal English vernacular, part of the way that we talk, part of the way that we describe things. And I'm not saying there's not truth in that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't desire for some things to pass and move on and move on to the next thing. But sometimes we're so worried about things passing away and so convinced that it's going to pass away that we're missing what we're supposed to be doing right there in the midst of the muck and the difficulty of what it is God has put us in to do something for him. So this too shall pass away is true, but don't let that be our only focus. Matter of fact, James tells us that we're called to rejoice in our trials and in our sufferings, not just wait for them to pass on by, right? So this common thing came, became part of, the English, <laughs> part of the English language, so much so that Mike Ditka, yes, that Mike Ditka, the coach for the Bears, Mike Ditka said, and, and I'm not hating on Mike, we've, we've done the same types of things, in his farewell speech when he was getting fired, basically, in the early 90s by the Bears, he said, you know, Scripture tells us that this too shall pass. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I thought it did for a long time. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a scriptural principle in some way, shape, or form, but Scripture does not say that this too shall pass. You might be in this for a long time. You might be in whatever you're in until Jesus comes back. But then it'll pass, right? Again, 
Some of you are, this is like your heart is open, your ears are open, your face is receptive, and, you, and you're understanding where I'm coming from. Some of you are looking at me like, I am lost as a goose. What is your point today? <laughs> and thus is the, is the enjoyment of standing here. <laughs> All right, moving along. We're almost done. Here's one. Pride comes before a fall. Raise your hand if you ever said that. I'm raising mine. I've said it. Now, I'm being real nitpicky on this one. Not even going to lie. I'm being very nitpicky on this one. But that's the point. We should be nitpicky about God's word, what it says to do. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant or haughty spirit before a fall. You say, good grief. Come on, preacher. Are we going to spend much time on that? No, we're not going to spend much time on that. But, it's, but it is true of what we're saying right now. It doesn't say pride comes before the fall. It says pride comes before destruction, which is even worse. And a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit before a fall. It's kind of saying the same thing, but I'm just saying that ain't what it says. That's not what it says. And we, we can't get on our, our, our horse and say, how can they say that God's word says that if we do the same thing, even on something that small? That's all I'm saying. Here's one. Somebody, you know, I, I should skip this one. I'm not going to, but I should. God moves in mysterious ways. I've said that about a thousand times in the last 10 months. God moves in mysterious ways. Makes it sound like, like God's like weird or strange or something. God moves in mysterious ways. No, God weighs in, moves in ways that we don't understand sometimes. But that doesn't wait, mean His ways are mysterious. They're just un- understandable to us a lot of the times. It, and again, I'm not saying this isn't kind of quasi-scripturally based. It sure it is. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So yes, God's ways may seem mysterious to us because they are much higher and much grander and much bigger than we could ever possibly imagine and if they weren't then God wouldn't be worth worshiping that's why we're going to worship him for eternity because we will never run out of reasons and ways to worship God his ways are higher than ours his thoughts it says not are higher than ours his ways are higher than ours but they're not necessarily mysterious now, it does say that the, that, that the gospel, that God revealed the mystery of the gospel to us in Christ Jesus, right? Thank goodness, that's right. Again, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that if you've ever said that, then you can't teach Sunday school anymore. That's not what I'm saying. Like, it's not a checklist. I'm not going to be walking around, and every time you say one of these, I'm going to be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? I'm not going to do that because I'm still going to say it from time to time. I'm just saying that we should hold Scripture in very high regard and not deal with it flippantly. And even as much importantly as that, not deal with it ignorantly. We can't deal with God's Word, His Scripture, ignorantly and say things are in there that aren't in there. 
And there's only one way for that to happen. It ain't going to happen from hearing me talk for 30 minutes. It's going to happen because we dig into it. We spend time in it because we understand that the words of God are life. More so than even bread, Jesus says. Paraphrased. That was a paraphrase. (laughs) Moving along. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who helps themselves. So my question to that would be, if that's true, so you saved yourself? You had a hand in saving yourself, did you? I sure as heck didn't. I can't save myself, thankfully. I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at being righteous. All you got to do is make me miss a meal, and you'll see it real quick. Mm-hmm. Now you know where I'm coming from. God helps those who help them. Now, this is obviously a statement that is, that is saying that it's not good to be lazy. That's true. It's not good to be lazy. It's not profitable. It's not desirable. It's not God-honoring. God gave us work. God gave us work before sin happened. I think we're going to have work to do in heaven. Because when work goes well, it feels pretty good. It's kind of fun to work, to do something, to accomplish, to build, to create, to do. That's great. Being lazy is not a good thing. And if that's what you mean when you say that, then I still wouldn't say it that way, but I understand where you're coming from. And as far as sanctification goes, right? If you go to 1 Peter, you think of sanctification, right? We're saved, but what about sanctification? As obedient children, I do not, excuse me, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. So we, obviously we have a part to play in this thing called life and this, this deal that God's given us. Of course we have things that we should do. But God's grace ain't earned. Period. That's the end of that statement. Anything you do is, that is good should be just because you're, you love God for what he's done. Not because you think somehow some shape, form, or fashion that God's going to help you more because you did something. Our righteousness is but filthy rags before the Lord. Last one. Last one. All things work together for good. Man, that sounds good. That feels good when we say it. And in a certain sense, it's not untrue. But it's not what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say all things work together for good. What does Scripture say? It says all things work together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. When we're called and living to God's purpose, we have a heart that desires and loves Him. God takes all that, our, our good and our bad and everything in between, and He works it towards good. And yes, ultimately, God's working this whole ball of mess to good. But sometimes when you say that one, when you say that right there, in the midst of someone going through something really hard, sometimes, man, it really does not feel good when you say that. It sounds dismissive. Oh, that pain you're going through. Oh, well, you know, God works all things to good. Well, right now it don't feel like it. Right now I'm hurting, so I wish you hadn't said that. That's what the person that you said that to might want to say. Not always. Sometimes it's really a helpful statement. 
Sometimes it's not. The truth would be helpful. Hey, just remember, I know what you're going through is really hard, but you love God and you're called according to his purpose. And you know that in that, God works all these things to good. Now, that feels good because that's the truth. But if we just cut off some of that part to make it easier to say or easier to remember or whatever reason, I don't know why we do that. I think Satan does tries to get us to manipulate scripture as much as he possibly can. That's what he did in the very beginning, right? Took God's word and twisted it and convinced Eve. But that's, that's not really what God said. That's not what he meant. Just go ahead. Eat the fruit. It'll be all good. Not so much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we said that we're, we're looking at the antidote, right? The antidote. If, if lies are poison and truth is good... What is the antidote to this? The antidote to Scripture myths. I think, I think Paul says it to Timothy in 2 Timothy right before and right after what we already looked at. So if you go back to where you already were, if you're still there. Paul says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Skip what we already read, then first five. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. What's the antidote for Scripture myths? It's Scripture. Actually, what God says. That's what we should talk and say and believe and study and discuss and live out what God's Word actually says we must take his word as seriously as he takes it and he took his word so seriously that when he said if you take fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil then you shall surely die and he took his word so seriously that he did something about it unthinkable God's plan much higher than my ways in thinking. But he took his word seriously. Something had to die. Even his own son to take that away. He takes his word very seriously, as should we take our word to each other very seriously. And we should take God's word very, very seriously. Now, there's one that I left off. We're going to finish with that. One that I left off, and I think that this may be the most insidious scripture myth that is out there. And it's propagated by pastors and preachers and evangelists and denominations and churches. It is the most harmful, scary, and disgusting thing that has ever been propagated upon mankind since Jesus came back and rose again out of that tomb. And it's this. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus and... Salvation comes by faith in Jesus and. There ain't no and. And that's good news. <laughs> that's why it's called good news. That's love. Love expecting something in return ain't love. Love does good no matter what. God knew that millions, if not billions, were not going to accept his love. He did it anyway. 
It ain't salvation comes by faith in Jesus and baptism and speaking in tongues and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and church attendance and none of that. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture says, alone. You say, well, I already know that. Good. Me too. Let's get to living like it. Let's get to living like it. <laughs> Let's get to living like it, church. When you talk about Jesus, talk about it like it's good news. Living for him is good news. Why do you go to church? Because I love Jesus. Why do you go to church? Because Jesus loves me. Why do you go to church? So I can get into heaven. That's a checklist that you ain't never going to get checked off. Ever. It's good news what God has done for us, church. It's salvation comes by faith in Jesus and that's it. And I'll back it up with Scripture since I've been so hard on that. Here's a good story. Jesus hanging on the cross. Got a thief and sinner on this side and a thief and sinner on this side. And this one over here says, Man, get us off of here, Son of God. Do something, bro. We're dying. My paraphrase. Verse 40, you pick it up, says, But the other, the one on this side, but the other responded, and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. We ought to be up here on these crosses. We were terrible human beings. For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was, say, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, As soon as you hop off that cross and get baptized, I will. I don't want to say, oh. Jesus said, as soon as you hop off this cross and go to church for the next four Sundays, then I'll save you. No, that ain't what he said. Thankfully, that's not what he said. He said, he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You're coming to heaven with me, bud. That's good news. That's a God that I can love. That's a God that we should love. That is a message that this broken world needs. And we need to be sharing it. What is that message? The same one you learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves you. This I know. For that Bible tells me so. And that is in there. We ought to be saying it as much as we can. So I want you to know that if you're here today, listening today, here in this building today, and you've never said, Jesus... I need you. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you have done what it takes to wash away my sin forever. Jesus, you love me and I love you. If you've never done that, well, you need to. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I'll be playing during this last song, but if you need someone to pray with, I haven't asked him to do this, but I can guarantee you the chairman of our deacons will be happy to be up here and pray with you during this time, during this song, if you would so need to do so. You want to express to the church that you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You repent from your sins and, and you want the gift of eternal life. I'll tell you one thing. We're going to celebrate that if that happens to be the case today. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you and we love you. Lord, you are the Savior of all mankind, and your message is a good message. Your news is good news. 
that all you want from us is faith, our trust, our hope, our belief is how your word says it. Our belief that you are who you say you are, that you have done what you said you have done, and that you will do what you said you will do, which is come back and bring us to a home that you have prepared for us, God, for eternal life, everlasting, abundant life in your presence, fulfilled and satisfied forever. All pain, all tears, all sin, all evil, wiped away forever. God, that is good news. Thank you for that good news this morning. God, will you just implant that and, 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 and just make that explode inside of us? How happy we are to have received that truth, God, that we walk out of these walls and we, and we just radiate the good news of Jesus because it is good news that you love us, that God loves us. Lord, if anybody is listening, whether right now or later on, whatever the case may be, God, and they've never... They've never cried out to you that they need you, that they want to live for you. Lord, will they just do that today? And will you put a Christian or a Jesus follower in their life that will come alongside them and help them grow in their sanctification, in their life for you, and they're glorifying you in what they do, God? Lord, you're good and you're worthy. May we live like it in Jesus' name. Amen.